Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I'm Dave. This guy up here is Vlad. We are talking all about cybersecurity and cybersecurity awareness. Uh, this week, we've got a very special guest. He's got a slightly different background than most of our guests, but I think it's it's only going to make it better for the conversation. Uh, so, so Michael Lewis, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Dave and Vlad. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's, uh, it's my first podcast, so I'm excited to be able to chat. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, I have a little bit of a different background, more from the IT side, but hopefully I can share some interesting perspective and, and my experience to date with some of the OT side of things as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, Mike. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Before we get to the technical aspects, maybe, could you give us an introduction? How did you get into IT? What was your maybe studies like and what kind of, I also noticed some certifications on your profile that I want to discuss. Mm -hmm. How was that process like? Yeah, so uh, great question. I um, I started in IT kind of um, the reverse of maybe what's typical. So when I uh, graduated high school, I went to went to community college for a little bit, um, was kind of trying to find out what I wanted to do, figured that technology was a good area, a good field to get into. And um, rather than pursuing the college degree, I actually went and, and got a number of IT certifications um, before my actual college degree. So those included typical A plus certification, net plus, security plus, mm -hmm. and then the CCNA for, from Cisco. I kind of wanted to get into networking mm -hmm. based on some of the, uh, the the certifications and training I had done. And then after I had gotten those certs, I was able to get an internship with a, a buddy of mine who owned, a, who owned his own company, doing um, mm -hmm. network services, providing desktop support for various small businesses, and then went back to college, got my associate's degree in computer networking. And then I was able to get a job right out of out of college doing with a managed network service provider. So doing uh, network support, server administration, desktop support for a number of small businesses. So it was nice to get a lot of experience right from the get-go um, as I was just starting out in, in IT. That's awesome. And I guess like on the topic of, uh, you know, certifications, I know I saw in your profile, you also pursued a CCNP. Like what are your thoughts on, you know, like more advanced levels? Like, cause I, I typically recommend the CCNA for someone who's in controls, but I guess on the IT side, I guess how difficult is it to get to those levels, right? Do you need to have real work like experience before you can get to see, I think it's CCNP then CCIE, right? Like is the, Correct. the top tier one? Yeah. So um, I'd say the CCNA is, is obviously the, the kind of industry gold standard still for just certifications in general to get into the IT field. Um, I obviously started with that. Uh, I, would, I would recommend um, if you don't have a, an IT job at the time, supplementing mm -hmm. with some home lab or virtual lab software or labs you can buy out on the internet. There's plenty of that mm -hmm. um, to get some hands-on training. Um, that's always going to help you. For the CCNP, I really wanted to get real world experience before I went for that certification. Mm -hmm. So I, I got a job at Phoenix in 2017. And I believe in 2018, I went for my CCMP. It's a, it's a three-part exam, or at least at the time it was, they've, they've shifted it around a bit. Um, but I, I really benefited from being in the workforce at the time, but definitely challenging. Um, but but a good but a good certification to have if you're really in the networking um, realm, um, and then obviously CCI, CCIE is the top tier uh, is tough one. So I I didn't 
decide to go to that one. Um, so, but, th- but that's, that's great to have. Still thinking uh, about CCIE or <laughs> aiming for it? And no, actually. Yeah. So um, along the lines and we can talk about this, but I, I had then shifted more to the security side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of have shifted my focus from a certification standpoint to more um, security certifications. Um, so I'll probably won't go for that one. That's a significant time investment. So I'll probably mm-hmm. just shift more to the security certs. Awesome. And I guess if you could give us a better picture of what your, I guess, career development and what are you doing now with uh, yeah. with Phoenix? What are your current responsibilities role? Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm actually in, in a leadership role. I'm a, a supervisor mm-hmm. of the network and security team here at Phoenix Contact USA. So uh, at our company, we're a global company headquartered in Germany. So mm-hmm. I manage a team that is... Uh, that is located in Harrisburg in, in Pennsylvania. And we support our full Americas region for our company. So that would be Canada, US, Mexico, and South America. So I lead a team of, of network engineers as well as security analysts um, to support our network. So routing, switching, um, wireless. And then on the security end, we've got firewalls, we've got endpoint security, mm-hmm. incident response, vulnerability management, um, things like that. So it's kind of a split role right now and, and also a leadership role. Um, but I still kind of get in there and, and, and help from a technical perspective just due to the workload. But um, as I st- stated earlier, it's, it's becoming so much more security driven now. Everything mm-hmm. is always has security at the forefront. So that's really been the main focus over the last you know, year and a half. Yeah, and that's great to hear, especially with, uh, you know, some of the problems that were exposed, I guess, to to everybody with uh, incidents that we saw in the last couple of years. But no, Mike, look, that's that's great to hear. I I really like the fact that we were able to bring someone from the IT side uh, to speak with mm-hmm. us, especially from a company that has a huge like manufacturing focus, uh, because, it, again, I think it will at least for myself, right, like so talking to someone who's on the OT side, demystify a lot of the best practices, or at least start the conversations in that direction, because I don't think we can cover all the maybe all the wide range of tools and ways to approach problems in an hour. But I, I really like the fact that we're going to head this way. And I guess maybe to throw you like a, an easy first question, um, you know, again, like painting the picture from like the OT side. So someone who's trying to understand or maybe to better their cybersecurity or protection level from a plant standpoint, someone who has maybe a a certain mm-hmm. grasp of what's going on on the plant floor, but is looking to start a conversation with IT to maybe figure out some of these better practices, right? Like how would you maybe approach that side uh, having your like IT uh, understanding? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the first uh, step is really... Um, to start the conversation. Um, you know, I think sometimes in IT, at least for me, we get very focused on um, what we need to, what we manage, a lot of endpoints, a lot of servers, firewalls, and stuff like that. And sometimes we might lose sight of what's going on on the ma- manufacturing floor and what some of these solutions that are deployed, what what is involved in, in them. So that could be, you know, we have a we have a desktop PC, we have a um, a, a 
device that comes with it that needs an internet connection so that um, people from an external vendor can VPN in and support the machine. Um, so mm -hmm. if you're out on the floor and, and you're aware of that stuff, I think just having a conversation with IT and saying, you know, here's what we've got, here's how it communicates. Um, is there any anything we need to do to maybe make this secure or make sure that we're deploying this in a secure manner um, is a good, really good place to start because you have to know really what's out there in your environment, at least from an IT perspective, to be able to secure it properly. And sometimes, um, you know, it's, it's easy to lose track of that and lose sight of that. So um, I think that's a good logical place to, to begin. And I guess to maybe like expand on that a little bit, right, from what I'm understanding, a good architectural map would be like a good point to start. Because I think, you know, maybe that's not even available in a lot of the facilities, again, in my experience. Yeah. So I think someone mm -hmm. typically knows the general layout on the, I want to say, on the field devices from the OT standpoint, but that's not always clear, right? And I don't know if there's maybe some tools that can help you map that. I think we spoke to Pascal and he mentioned that I, I think like Dragos does that, but also um, mm. there was another- Like IDS tools. Right, like IDS tools. And, but ultimately, I guess for that conversation to be productive, you would probably need a better understanding of uh, what's currently out there and maybe some of the interactions they have, right? Because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I guess like what you're seeing, but in the current architecture, there's a lot of cross communication between like OT and IT. So. Let's say if I'm deploying like a SCADA system, that's going to sit on servers that typically IT manages, right? But that needs to talk to some devices in the field. So I guess like what you're saying is we should have like a better map as the first step before we engage in some of these conversations, correct? Yeah, I think, I think it's always pivotal to understand what's required um, from a communication standpoint. If there's software that needs to go on a server, needs to talk to devices out in, in a plant or, or something like that. Um, and one thing that is, is another helpful tool from an IT side to gain some visibility um, is, is a network access control system, which, which is mm -hmm. kind of a big big system, um, somewhat of an investment, but that gives you the capability to know what's plugged in where, um, know what devices are connected where, linking everything back to a switch port. Um, so that can help as well. But I think, um, at least for me, what's helped when I interact with people, um, you know, in the OT side or somebody out on the, on the plant floor is, you know, when they kind of are in the conversation with me about, hey, this is what we'd like to do. We've got this solution we're looking at implementing. Um, this is what's involved, and we can kind of talk through about what the what the network communications like, what the what the support is like from a, an external vendor. Um, does it need internet access? Things like this to make sure that we're deploying it in the proper manner. Um, but I think you know communicating with IT in that process is, 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 is helpful, at least for me in my experience, it has been. Certainly I would say it doesn't happen enough, but uh, <clears throat> right. Dave, if I can bring you into conversation as well, cause I know you have a lot of experience in this, any thoughts, comments, any questions for Mike as well? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I, so I, I think I just want to 
draw one distinction before my question uh, for the listeners. So, so Mike's background, as, as I kind of alluded to, is a little bit different because he works on the IT side of things. And then also for most of the folks that we, we've worked with in Phoenix, right? So most of the folks that we've worked in Phoenix have been services or product managers, and they are working without typically outside clients, right? So Mike is part of this IT group and this leadership within the IT group that actually secures the Phoenix facilities. Uh, the, the, so the, the group globally, Mike and his specific team um, in, in the Americas, right? So I think that that, that is an interesting distinction. Um, and now I, I know, Mike, that you, when we were talking uh, as we were coming onto the show, you were saying that you guys had gone through a process to kind of completely review what you guys were doing cyber um, since your time coming on. And as I was thinking of this question, it may be you guys are constantly in review of of what you're doing to protect the, the facilities and the greater IT network. Can you share a little bit like what that experience looks like the, the first time or what annual revisions look like, please? Yeah, so you know, there's a lot of process review and, and policy mm-hmm. review on um, you know what's acceptable, what's not acceptable yep. um, in the event of an incident, um, security incident. What what actions do we take? Um, what, what severity is the incident? What constitutes a critical versus a a, a medium security incident? Um, so we're we're always kind of trying to improve our policies and procedures and make sure yep. that they're well understood outside of IT. I think one of the challenges too is when you get to be a global company or mm-hmm. or a bigger company spread throughout um, you know the U.S. or whatever country, mm-hmm. um, and you have remote locations, you're reliant sometimes on on, you know, IT, IT staff at these other locations that you're not yep. always in direct communication to, or somebody that's been appointed the IT contact who really doesn't have an IT background. So making mm-hmm. sure that they understand what they have to do and what actions need to be taken if something happens. So um, we've been working on trying to improve that process in terms of here's our procedures and policies from a IT security perspective and and disseminating that throughout the 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 company to make sure that everybody understands um okay. I think that 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 has been a big initiative um as well as some you know technical things um that that we can get into but um yeah that's what we've been working on lately Absolutely. And so, so my understanding is that's kind of an ever evolving, ever revolving process, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if there's ever an end, but if there is an end, you kind of go back through and relook at, uh, at what, what that is in order to help secure a, a facility. Can, can you, uh, maybe tell our listeners what the, the first couple of steps either you guys at Phoenix took in order to say, Hey, this, this is where we were. These are the first steps we took, be it we put a firewall up and, and in, in initiated some policies. What do the first steps or what do a good couple of first steps look like organizationally wide? Yeah. So I'd say if if it's within the context of improving kind of infrastructure security, um, it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously first step is kind of assessing where you're at. Um, That can be, hey, we have 
we have one flat network and, you know, we just plug things in and, you know, we, they work. If maybe we have a firewall at the perimeter of our network and we allow things in out to the internet, but everything internal can just talk to, talk to one another, um, kind of assessing that side of it. If it's from the network security perspective, maybe assessing, you know, what devices do we have on the floor in terms of we've got these, desktop machines, what operating systems are they running? Um, what yeah. software are they running? Um, can they be updated? Um, things of that nature. Once you have a little bit of a picture of, of what you've got, um, yep. and again, to, to determine that, you know, there's various tools, um, asset tracking software, stuff like that. But um, okay. once you kind of have a baseline, um, for us, a big initiative was um, network segmentation to try yeah. and improve some of that. So it was trying to determine, hey, you know, we've got these sets of machines. They, they have an old OS installed for, for reasons um, unknown or specific yeah. reasons. We can't update them. Um, let's try and improve the security around that by putting a firewall in between those clients and the rest of the network, mm -hmm. um, kind of tackling those uh, low-hanging fruit, but also more um, vulnerable systems first, and okay. then kind of working your way out from there is how we approached just the whole network segmentation topic. Um, okay. Just try and hit the the more vulnerable systems first, and then build upon that um, over time. I, I like that. And then, how do you guys define or determine what's the most vulnerable system? So, let's say someone is coming at this uh, again. A lot of the listeners are on the OT side, so maybe we're not thinking yeah. about like like we we know it's a thirty year old PLC, and we need to put a firewall or micro segmentation or something in front right. of it, lest there yeah. could be issues. But 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 looking at the the whole uh, organization, how do you guys what's what's best practices in determining what is the most vulnerable um, items that you need to work on first? Yeah. Um, so again, this is a lot of it's contingent on on knowing what's what's in your environment, you know, yep. asset tracking. Right. And then once you have that data, you can kind of assess the risk of the machines. Obviously, is a machine managed? And we kind of use that term a little loosely. But what I mean when I say managed is, you know, yep. does it get patches? Is it on a supported operating system if it's running okay. Windows or whatever? Um, does it is it is it managed by an external vendor or is it managed internally? Um, does the machine or sets of machines, do they need to communicate out to the internet um, and, mm -hmm. and, and do people remote into them over a yep. VPN um, at will? Um, so kind of, you know, trying to get an idea of the function of some of these things and if they're supported from a, a patching standpoint. Another yep. program that's really, you know, centered in IT is vulnerability management. Mm -hmm. So vulnerability management software um, and scanning can, can tell you, okay, well, here's all your assets. Here's all the vulnerabilities on your network. Um, and you can kind of assess those based on the criticality, um, based on the significance of, of what the endpoint is and then mm -hmm. kind of approach it from here's the most critical we're going to address this stuff first and kind of work our way down um mm -hmm. 
so that's what we've been kind of, you know, trying to, to improve upon and um, really try and, you know, secure things that um, aren't managed as well as we'd like to from patching and, and all that kind of stuff. So okay. I was, if I can throw in a follow-up Dave on, on that same like question, because I was wrestling, I guess, with the same thought. And I guess in my mind, some of those components can be determined programmatically or automatically, right? Like be automated by some kind of an aggregator that tells you, okay, well, this is this type of a PLC and it can probably fetch some information on what the vulnerabilities are. But then I guess on the human side, in my mind, there's like some kind of a checklist of, let's say if this PLC goes down, then it probably takes out the whole line or maybe it just takes out, right. you know, like a, I don't know, like an oil machine, like in the corner that nobody really cares about. So there's... I guess like my question is like, are there tools or maybe like more extensive like checklists that can spit out, let's say for someone who's looking to do these assessments and figure out what's going on in their facility that can tell them after, well, here's a score zero to a hundred of, you know, like what the risk profile is so that, you know, maybe as they have that as a starting point to start addressing some of these issues. Like I'm assuming there's a tool like that, but I'm wondering, Mike, what, yeah, um, that's. I mean, that's a great question. That goes into kind of the risk management strategy and and scoring uh, tied to that. Um, I think there's. I know there's charts and 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 kind of templates for how to score uh, assets on your network in terms of um, business criticality if they would were to go down, safety things like that. Um, if we're talking about Active Directory. Um, domain controllers, how critical they are to that infrastructure. Um, for us, we use we use a vulnerability management tool to to score some of that stuff, and it's kind mm -hmm. of automated within that tool. Um, but I'm sure I don't know any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's there's risk management software um, that you might be able to you know maybe open source or something that you can load assets into and um, feed different different data points into them and kind of score them accordingly based on their function or how critical they are to the business. But tying back into what you said, I mean, if it's a PLC and it's, it's, it's critical to the business, if it goes down, then, then, you know, there's major problems or product can't ship or something, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. That's obviously going to be significant, uh, something that you want to pay attention to um, versus maybe, you know, a printer or something out on the network, you know, that's relatively insignificant. Dave? No, no, I, I agree. I, I think that this is this is very interesting. So I, I guess I'm, I'm going to ask this starting question, Mike. So yeah. um, I think that, that there's a bunch of great things. So let's say someone uh, within their medium-sized organization is saying October Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Oh crap! We should probably be more aware on cybersecurity. Uh, what's what's the best first step? What's the best you know first two or three steps? Is it we go and we we bring in an outside group and we conduct an audit and then based on the audit we pick the right tools and we put a firewall. What what are the the good first you know two or three steps if someone is starting from let let's call it scratch or near scratch? Yeah. Well, I guess hitting off of the the kind of concept of Cybersecurity Awareness Month and what what it's mm -hmm. trying to achieve, it's trying to bring awareness. Um, I think a, a great first step is to educate staff on on common security um, 
you know, uh, attacks that happen, obviously the, the number one being phishing, um, mm -hmm. but having some type of initiative within the business to make people aware of, of cybersecurity and, and common things that they might run into as part of their daily job. Um, I think is is really really helpful. I mean, a lot of these attacks are, you know, we see things in the news and it's it's very we read it. And it seems so sophisticated, like oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. These these hackers are so advanced. A lot of these things they occur, you know, just from a simple phishing email um, where they get credentials yeah. um, or, or some some misconfiguration. So I think that's a great first step. Obviously, okay. um, if you're a smaller business. Uh, and you don't maybe have a, a full IT department, a security team, a network team, a server team. Um, I, I'd say consulting with with a, a, an outside organization to to do an audit or to do an assessment to to tell mm -hmm. you where you're at with some of these things. Um, how's your network segmentation look? Is it a flat network? Are there um, are there firewalls? How, how how does the endpoint look? Do you have endpoint security software on all these devices? Um, mm -hmm. you know, what, what devices do you have out on the, on the floor? How, how are they functioning? What, what, uh, what touch points do they have to the rest of the network or to the internet? Um, you know, that's, that's obviously a good step. Um, yep. and if you're, you know, maybe a little more mature, um, mm -hmm. from an IT side, I think it's kind of building out, you know, either it's a vulnerability management program, um, building out, you know, more of an incident response program to, for how to deal with security threats that come, come in. Um, but I think a lot of it can be boiled down to, you know, maybe even improving on some of these simpler things like security awareness, um, just within the organization. So, um, yeah, it's a good place to start. Let me ask you, I guess, like a, a maybe an expanded question on that, right? Because I've seen education done like in a number of ways. And me and Dave even spoke to people who are involved in cybersecurity, like training slash awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think like the question, I guess, like for me is what's the, like the, the low hanging fruit, right? Because I've been part of initiatives where, for example, they send you phishing emails. And then, you know, if you click on mm -hmm. that email, there's a report generated to your manager or they just have like a conversation or send an email blast right to everyone. Well, you have to use like more secure passwords, not use like outside USBs and just general practices. But what has like maybe worked or what would you opt for as like a, a first step, like educational medium for uh, cybersecurity? What like what communication medium, I guess, works? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think we've we've fallen victim to the traditional email, um, but we do have... We do partner with a company where we we incorporate kind of fun little videos. They're more kind yeah. of cartoon based, but they're they're okay. they're simp they're simplified and they're not super long or extensive. But they really get the message across of you know like what what phishing is and and what social mm -hmm. engineering is in general. Um, so you know video content um, that we host or something or partner with a company. You know, email communication is the easy one. There's a lot of managed service providers from the security awareness side where they'll have like they'll gamify this mm -hmm. this this 
um, initiative so that way people are a little more engaged and make it a little bit competitive in terms of friendly competition within the workplace in terms of identifying what phishing emails are. But I think an another strategy we've used um, to try and um, gain buy-in to why why do you care about cybersecurity, um, not just for the business, but mm -hmm. more personally as well. So we, we monitor a lot of the news, um, the security news, and obviously vulnerabilities are coming out every day with IOT devices, you, you know, this, this all of a sudden spans to a lot of different homes. People have, you know, Amazon Alexa, or they have a smart fridge or whatever. Um, so they're a lot more connected than, than they used to be. So we mm -hmm. like to monitor the, the news and, and send out emails that maybe aren't specific to our business or some phishing campaign that we're seeing at our company, but mm -hmm. that people might be concerned about at their home if, for example, some particular vendor has a, a data breach, um, let's say it's a social media company or whatever, um, we'll send communication out about that. Hey, FYI, this happened. You might want to change your passwords. Here's how to validate maybe if your credentials were compromised uh, and they're out on the internet somewhere. Um, so to try and get that personal tie with some of our staff so that maybe, you know, there's a little bit more incentive to care when it is a, a campaign going around within the business that just affects them at work. Um, we also want to make sure that they're aware of things that they might be affected outside of work. So that, that's been a strategy we've been trying to employ. And I, I think it does really go over well in terms of buy-in. I really like that. You know, I, I must say I'm involved in a, in a number of initiatives and I would say like I have more difficult times depending on who the audience is communicating the, the good mm -hmm. cybersecurity practices. But again, I think it goes back to the point of like your weakest link is going to be what like breaks you, right? And so you really yeah. need to, I think, think of the overall strategy, right? Because if it's uh, someone like on the plant floor who may not get buy-in and again, incidentally or unintentionally maybe plug in, plugs in their phone or their laptop and that's what causes your system to break, then it's just, I, I guess, unfortunate miss on your end to have like not taught them well enough. So I certainly yeah. appreciate those points. A lot of yeah. uh, thoughts for me. Yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's tough. It really is. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't really blame anybody, you know, for, for not being mm -hmm. as up to speed. I mean, some of this stuff, it's, it's really, I mean, even for me or for anybody else, it's tough to keep up with everything. But um, if you're not, um, actively monitoring things or, or up to speed on, on a lot of these different attacks. It can be easy to, you know, forget or just not think about something and, and, that, and it turns into a security issue. But um, I think realizing that and, and trying to work with everybody as best you can, that's kind of our goal. Um, not to just say, here's a phishing email, you clicked on it, you shouldn't have done that. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's not good. You're going to hurt the company. Just, you know, being a little more understanding, but but still trying to get the message across. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that makes sense. Mike, if we want to, I guess like I have a technology-based question, right? So I'm curious on the, maybe the tool side when it comes to monitoring the traffic going in to the plant and sort of, I guess like, again, from the OT side, 
you know, if we have like a funnel that transmits that data to like my PLCs and my SCADA systems on the floor, how can, how can, let's say the IT department be able to like monitor the traffic that's coming in? Because again, I'll, I'll paint you like the picture of, which happens quite frequently. Again, in my experience, you have the need to, let's say, deploy a like wireless device that would funnel some of the data through or bypass, let's say, the network, or let's say somebody brings in a laptop to program like an obsolete system. How can you monitor, you know, like what's going on and what's coming through your funnel? I've always been like curious, like on that side, I know that yeah. like one of the tools mentioned is like Wireshark. Is there other ways or kind of where would you begin a, I want to say like an investigation and in what's happening on your network? Yeah, um, we so a, a lot of a lot of what we use for for logging and, and, and whatnot is is a lot of firewalls um, in terms of our corporate firewalls, um, logging all traffic going to you know in and out. Um, but if you're talking about maybe there's an M guard or something um, it, between you know the IT infrastructure and the OT infrastructure, um, leveraging features on that like syslog and, and pumping those logs to to a sim or a centralized logging server is a good idea. Mm-hmm. And that's just a mem- that's just a configuration item in like a, an M guard or something to say, hey, you know, send logs to this IP address or whatever or this system. Um, there are other plat or products to to monitor um traffic you could you could have like an mm-hmm. an inline um network intrusion detection uh, monitor that just is kind of like a network tap so you could see all traffic going to it it's kind of like a pass through device but um it sees all communication in line and you know flag on certain types of communication um but i think the simplest way for that is Put a put a layer three device firewall or whatever in between whatever network you're trying to secure and 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 sending those logs to a central location, um, typically a sim, um, or just you know deploy firewalls where you can throughout the rest of the infrastructure and log that types that type of traffic. Um, there's switch ports you can span to say, hey, I want to monitor all traffic on this switch port and pump it out to this one. But um, mm-hmm. I'd say from the OT side, if we're talking about M guards and firewalls, um, kind of wanting to configure those in a way where you're you're sending all logs um, to a certain centralized area um, is, is always good to do. So that way everything's kind of aggregated. Could you determine, I guess, like I'm, I'm becoming like more and more curious on what that traffic looks like, but can you determine what the like device that, uh, well, I guess you can probably see what the IP address or maybe the MAC address that the intended packet is going to, but can you determine what the device added is? And, and I guess, I don't know, is that going to be like on the firewall side? Is that going to be some other tools? What are the logs like tell you is someone even you know again like from the OT OT perspective like is someone even watching those logs right because I think <laughs> right. I know that it, like they can be set up but like what's maybe the process then to make sure that like nothing bad happens and I, I guess like as a follow up question and sorry to make it so convoluted then like what does the process okay. of let's say me deploying a new device that needs to communicate let's say and allow me remote access become right. Mm. Yeah, so um, w- one one technology that we leverage and that's very common for, you know, when something gets plugged in, what is it? 
um, is what I mentioned a little earlier, network access control, um, where you have a system where all of your network infrastructure is tied back to. So every single switch port is, is monitored, for lack of a better term, so that when something gets connected somewhere, um, we get an alert and say, hey, this is, this is connected here. Now, it's not an alert every single time, um, but you can detect maybe what the device is based on like the Mac OUI, so the vendor OUI um, based on the Mac address. Um, so we leverage that in terms of, you know, what devices are connected and where are they connected to. Um, there's some limitations with that. Um, if you, for example, um, add a switch somewhere um, or if there's an MGuard or a firewall and then there's a switch in front of that and our NAC system doesn't, isn't extended out there, you, you lose some visibility. But again, with logging, like, yeah, you could get, hey, this MAC address showed up um, and you can kind of try and probe for more information. Um, and then I believe you had a follow-up question or a secondary part of that. Yes. Well, I guess to, to repeat that, what the process would be, you know, if let's say we're in total lockdown like that, right? Like where you have to approve like each MAC address. So what would be the process mm. of wanting to get ah, a, yes. a device on the floor so, so that it acts like allows me to let's say like remote in into one of the ah, right. side devices yeah i mean we we try and authorize those devices that were not that aren't i guess managed if you will so it's not a corporate a windows desktop or, or or laptop um for us, it's it's more of a hey, what's this device? Let's authorize it so that it can actually connect to the network. Another thing we see a lot is, you know, does this device have a need for two network connections? Maybe one mm -hmm. connection is on the inside or the internal network. The other connection is to some isolated network that's specific to this um, machine or this um, manufacturing process, and then through that little network you know, it needs internet access um, and people can get in and manage. So um, as I was saying earlier, you know, for us, it's it's understanding what those use cases are. And like when somebody needs to connect something, things are configured in a way where generally they have to put in a request to say, hey, I'm connecting this, like it needs to get on the right network. And then we say, okay, well, what is it doing? How is it being used? It gives us an opportunity to kind of um, have that conversation because if people connect things and we don't know about it, it's it's we don't know about it. It can go undetected, and then that's where you start to see see issues. So um, we leverage that a network access control system for a lot of those those functions. And is that like an off the shelf system or network access control? Is that a? I guess is there some providers of that or what does that look like exactly I'm yeah i mean it's a it's an extensive system um right. there's various industry uh leaders that 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 make make network access control systems um it's it really it, it's significant of an of a um deployment if you want to leverage a system like that because it really it, it's really a a system that you have to integrate all of your networking hardware with. So all of okay. your switches, you know, even firewalls, access points. We want to think about anything that gets connected to the network. 
has to, this system has to know about it. This NAC system has to know about it. So it spans everywhere. So, and you know, there's a lot of logic built into these systems. If this system gets connected, mm -hmm. it gets on this network. If this system gets connected, it gets on this other network. So that all has to be built out. It's, it's definitely an involved process. You, you, I, you know, I would say you need a, a, a good amount of staff in terms of um, IT to be able to, um, I'd say, implement it and then support it ongoing, depending mm -hmm. on how big you are as a company. But um, it's it's just such a step up in in security. Sometimes you worry about if somebody gets access somewhere, um, plugging in, right? And if they can just get right on the network, it's it's definitely a, an issue. Um, or or if it's not intended to be malicious, where a vendor comes in and they plug in, thinking they need to get out to the internet and something's on their machine and they get on the production network and something happens as a result. Um, yeah. We, we want to try and prevent against that stuff, but um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of different vendors for network access control. No, that's very interesting. I, to be honest with you, I guess like, again, I can only speak to the, at least OT side, but I, the general, I want to say process would be to log into the, the closest switch and kind of figure out what has been added or like why it's having an issue. Right. So it could be, Again, like let's say on the Allen Bradley side, like a static switch, and you can kind of get into it, which you can do with a, with a Cisco or HP or anything, any other mm -hmm. switch for that matter, and kind of look at the switch itself. Versus, I, I wasn't, I didn't know that there was a, an aggregation tool. And again, obviously yeah. in the IT world, I think it's a lot more advanced. But uh, it's yeah, it yeah, it's it's kind of a, a centralized database, if you will, of what's connected where. And um, you know, a lot of industrial switches, if they have certain feature set, you know, are supported in a lot of these systems. So um, we can leverage some of those switches into the and and integrate them into these systems. So that way, we can further expand visibility. I think that's a huge common goal is is just visibility mm -hmm. and what's connected where. Absolutely. I could see the benefits of that. Dave, any thoughts, comments, questions? I, I have I have lots of thoughts, Vlad, but but before I, I kind of take us into a slightly other direction, we actually have some people to thank, right? So we want to thank uh, Phoenix Contact uh, for sponsoring this theme and all of their support. Uh, we talked about it a little bit, right? And Mike's kind of alluded to it. Uh, you know, so Phoenix is it's a global company, global market leader based in Germany. They produce future-oriented components, systems, and solutions for electric, electrical controls, networking, and automation. With a worldwide network reaching more than 100 companies and over 17,100 employees, they maintain a close relationship with the customers, something that we believe is essential for our shared success. And I'm just going to take a, a brief pause here and just say, Think how difficult Mike and all of Mike's counterparts' jobs are if they've got to secure 100 countries and more than 17,000 people. And I'd imagine they have at least a couple of Vlads um, on their, their payroll. And we, we've talked about secret uh, we've talked about secret laptops on the OT floor before, Mike. And so um, you, you certainly have your job cut out for you. So their wide variety of innovative products makes it easy for our customers to implement the latest technology in various applications and industries, focusing on the fields of energy, infrastructure, process, and factory automation. So we're going to talk a little bit about the MGuard, and Grant gave us a great overview uh, last week. Uh, so the FL uh, MGuard product family 
as a proven security technology that enables you to control safeguard communications uh, within your within your production network. This is the cornerstone of a holistic approach to to properly secure your OT network. The central management software MGuard Device Manager enables easy and efficient system configuration, maintenance, and operation, especially when a large number of MGuard security routers are installed. Thanks to a wide variety of product versions, we offer the right product for every application. Talking about a couple of advantages, and Grant gave us a bit of an overview last week. So if you guys missed that, we'll go ahead and link uh, link to that in the comments. Um, of the actual differences between the MGuard, he actually had like half a dozen of them uh, in front of him at one point. So the advantages of a bunch of the product families is gigabit rate, uh, gigabit data rate. Security is part of the entire product lifecycle from the certified development process in accordance with IEC uh, 62243-4-1 to the integration of important security uh, functions, low vulnerability of MGuard devices due to hardening and the application of secure by design principles, uh, PSIRT, which I Googled and stands for Product Security Instant Incident Response Team, uh, monitors vulnerabilities on a daily basis. These are evaluated and rectified based upon the severity of the problem, plus robust and secure connectivity to your machines via the most complete line of VPN-enabled devices, coupled with a new version of MGuard Secure Cloud V2.14, conforming to MIIT category IB14. Um, and again, we want to thank Phoenix Contact for sponsoring uh, this theme and all of your continued support within the community. Uh, so, Mike, I, I want to kind of take a, take a bit of a bit of a of a different tangent right so i feel like we've, we've been peppering you on a lot of specifics and technology and, and how can we go find things and, and what are the first steps but I, I feel like we would almost be negligent in having a defensive cybersecurity conversation if we didn't talk about uh risk uh, risk uh, mitigation but also risk acceptance and and i'm going to preface this because the first time the, the term risk acceptance came up, I think I saw all of the blood drain out of Vlad's face, right? But uh, but, but can, can you kind of give us an overview uh, of maybe on the, the corporate IT side, what risk mitigation is, you know, maybe how you go determine the risk and what risk mitigation is and, and what risk acceptance is and what it looks like, please? Yeah, so um, I think from the risk mitigation, I mean, obviously, a lot of these, this starts with um, determining what the risk is. Um, so a lot of these, the way to do that is to really um, understand, you know, what, what servers, what devices are out there, mm -hmm. um, how critical they are to the business in terms of um, being able to function, maybe there's safety concerns related to to this this hardware mm -hmm. um, stuff that's con connected to the network, um, and or maybe it's just systems that are um, not able to be patched or maintained, and then present um, you know a risk from a uh, a compromise uh, to to the um, the IT systems at, at your at your business. So um, I think it's doing an assessment of, of your assets and, and gathering data. So from a vulnerability standpoint, you can mm -hmm. gather that data. Tools within systems like that can give you a score. There's scores, um, templates mm -hmm. that you can use out on the internet to kind of say, hey, if it's, um, again, if we're talking about like Active Directory, mm -hmm. if it's a domain controller, it gets this. Um, if it's yep. this system and it does this function, it gets <laughs> this score. So 
it really requires you to kind of know the network um, and and know what's what's important um, and what mm-hmm. what is maybe not as important. Um, so determining the risk is obviously number one, and then to to mitigate it's it's um, you know a lot of the things that I talked about. You can go you can go at it from a um, a software standpoint where mm-hmm. you're talking about. Know, maybe it's an endpoint security. Maybe it's a, a logging and monitoring system. Um, you know, maybe it's network segmentation. Um, yep. Maybe it's uh, employee training, um, corporate awareness training, things like that from mm-hmm. a security side. Um, even just improving policies and procedures so that people are better informed and know how to react um, when things happen. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of controls that can be put into place from a technical perspective. And then, as I was saying, um, you know, going into like the people processes and technologies, yep. you know, awareness training and, and, and training staff on, on what to look out for is a good way to, to, to also mitigate just general risk. Um, and yeah, and risk acceptance, I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of choosing to uh, accept, you know, uh, a certain level of risk based on the nature of of what you have. So sometimes you have applications that are very old and are critical to the business, and mm-hmm. you know, for factors, you know, like cost or um, various reasons, it it can't be it can't be updated or nothing can be done mm-hmm. or, Hey, we got to plan this out for two, three, four years down the road for now. It is what it is. And that's how they kind of tie together in that, you know, we put things to try and mitigate the risk, but at, at a certain level we've accepted, Hey, there's nothing we can do. This is, this is the application we're running and for various reasons we can't update it. So that's definitely a really very real thing. It sounds very scary yep. in terms of why would you yeah. want to do that? Why would you want to accept the risk? Why don't you just try and fix everything? But mm-hmm. in the real world of it, you know, there's, there's things that your, your hands are a little tied sometimes um, mm-hmm. for various reasons. So I think that's how they kind of relate to one another. Um, and we're always kind of trying to, you know, mitigate as much as possible. Absolutely. No, no, I, I think that that is good. Uh, can we talk a little bit more maybe about risk of acceptance? So, so we've had questions and conversations in the past of saying, Hey, maybe we work at a facility that isn't cyber, that isn't cyber aware, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not paying attention to it. And it's difficult to have these conversations, because it's like, hey, boss, we need to go spend $10,000 on this, or we need to go spend $100,000 on this, or we need to go spend $5 million on, you know, whatever these these big next steps are. So when you guys are, are having these conversations internally, how do you go about deciding what risk to accept versus what we're going to spend money to, to mitigate? That's like, is, is, there, is there a question. structure that, that you've found? Yeah. Is, is, there, is there a structure that you guys have? There's, I, I wouldn't say f- there's anything explicitly defined. Yep. Um, I, I think naturally the uh, goal is to um, try to avoid risk acceptance for very critical parts of the business or yeah. um, 
again, if it depends what industry you're in, but things that involve safety or things mm-hmm. like that, it's really tough to, to, to go, to go around. But, um, but it, it can happen even with critical, um, business applications or, or, or things that, you know, Hey, we need to have this running to be able to ship product or whatever. Um, there can be reasons as to why we can't uh, update or, or, or change out the system because mm-hmm. of cost. Um, and, yeah. and again, sometimes it is even a little bit above my head, uh, my level, mm-hmm. um, from the technical side, sometimes it can just be, you know, more of a business decision. And again, mm-hmm. that's where it kind of comes into play. Hey, we know there's these issues, but you know, we, we, we just, we don't have the, 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 the money or we don't want to, you know, change this at the, at the current time. So, um, yeah, we don't, we don't have like a, I guess, explicitly defined, um, uh, guideline in terms of yeah. what we're accepting versus not, but, um, mm-hmm. obviously the goal is to try and limit that, um, as much as possible. Absolutely. I, I asked the question, right? Cause it's a difficult question for, yeah. for everyone internal or external at some point we accept risk, right? So we, we accept risk, whether we know we're accepting the risk or we don't know we're accepting right. the risk, but, but at some point we all accept risk. It is it for, for me at least, and I'll let Vlad chime in after this, it's been interesting kind of, kind of get everyone's thoughts and feedback on where we as an internal business unit or clients accept risk and, and how to go about having those conversations of, Hey, saying we, we need to go spend some money. So we are, uh, so we are less, uh, so there's less risk and, and, or we need to go spend some money cause we don't pay any attention to cybersecurity. And Vlad just plugged his third laptop into, uh, to a different switch and only God knows what, uh, what he is currently using. But, but what are your thoughts on, on risk acceptance, Vlad, and asking people for money for cybersecurity things? No, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's generally understood. I think, dilemma that at the end of the day, I don't think you can ever put enough protection to make sure that there's absolutely zero risk, but you're obviously, there's like a Mm -hmm. threshold where it becomes economically, how to say it, I guess, not necessarily not feasible, but it's not worth it at some point, right? Where like you have to spend Mm -hmm. so much money to mitigate a certain number of risk that you would just rather say like, okay, well, fine, like this system could get hacked and we're willing to just say like, it is what it is, right? Like, I guess, I guess would be the yep. best way to put it. So in my mind, I guess there is no illusion that, um, you know, a skilled hacker or I guess like a, a malicious enough software could certainly get into probably any virtual system, right? And it's only Absolutely. a... Uh, what was the, the way like Pascal, I guess, put it is you need to make sure that you slow it down enough or like you make it hard enough for it not to get to your critical systems, but mm-hmm. ultimately it can never be like a 100% like bulletproof method. So I, I agree with that premise. Again, like for me, the the biggest the question is like, how do you figure that out? And again, with someone who's not necessarily as knowledgeable on the like IT mm-hmm. side, trying to get like those first steps. And I think like... I guess like initial conversations to the point where, again, maybe the conclusion is we bring someone who's a lot more knowledgeable or maybe like we at least like have done the legwork enough to yep. begin talking about it and starting the the ball rolling, so to speak. Because 
again, from my experience, there's not enough of these conversations in a lot of the facilities. And so everyone is just kind of in the mindset where like, we don't know where to begin. And so not much has been done, right? Like that's at least like what I've seen in, in, yeah, I, I, I think Vlad, I think you're, you're spot on in terms of the, um, risk acceptance, um, Mm-hmm. logic where if if the time and resources and the cost um, to to actually mitigate the risk is far greater than um, you know the um, the benefit to to uh, or the 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 chance that it might be exploited um, it's 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 worth accepting it or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and another, another area where I think, you know, you, you definitely don't want to accept risk is, is with a lot of compliance related stuff. So depending on what industry you're in, um, there's a lot of compliance requirements and that's something that we, we, um, we're not bound to given our, our industry. Um, um, but you know, obviously healthcare and stuff like that, they, they have different requirements. So, no, and again, like there's a lot of gray areas. And as you pointed out, right, like it's it's business dependent. It's like function dependent. Like there's a lot of parties that need to get involved to have these conversations. But that's why mm-hmm. I think it's such a like a gray area that requires discussion. And I think that's why maybe there's a lot of tension between like IT and OT sides because <laughs> not enough of these conversations happen. And again, like we can certainly like get into this conversation too, but it, it needs to happen early enough in the project for everyone to be able to kind of right. chime in, right? Because a lot of times it's kind of last minute, I'm going to bring you in and, hey, Mike, I'm throwing up this uh, these like devices on the plant floor because I need to yes. remote in. And, you know, you're kind of like, well, what the hell? Like we need like a week to prepare for this. Yeah, I, like a, that's a, such know. a great point. Um, I think that happens a lot. I, I mean, that, that right there is like a... a core of sometimes challenges is being brought in too late. So we have all these security controls and things, these processes we have. And then if we don't really have time to really implement that properly, it's like, hey, we need to get this running. We have people on site. They're here three days. They're here to do this job and then they're flying out. Um, We got to make this work. So what happens is you end up putting exceptions in place. It's like, oh, well, we normally do it this way, but we're going to we're going to pass on that. We just got to get it working. So that, that yeah. definitely happens. <laughs> like, I'm curious your th- on your thoughts, you know, and this is kind of part of the, I guess, last questions, but ultimately I want to ask it in a different way, right? So as we're seeing this like digital transformation, industry 4.0 kind of mm-hmm. initiatives, like whatever you want to call it, but I think there's a lot more networking devices coming in, certainly at the OT level, right? Um, which ultimately impacts the traffic, probably the hardware and the software that you need to monitor that to secure it. But I guess like, what are your like perspectives? I want to say like on the technical challenges, but also, you know, on the personnel challenges, like, are you seeing at least, you know, like what I'm witnessing is that more PLC and HMI programmers are now having to have some IT networking knowledge versus like, do you think Mm -hmm. that should fall more on like the IT side? Like, what are your thoughts from like, maybe the human perspective first as we quote unquote throw more connected devices on the OT side? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I I think we need to know what the device is 
doing, what's its intent, mm-hmm. um, how it's connected, and how the communication works before we connect anything to the network. So whether that's consulting with somebody in IT to be able to say, no, I don't, I don't like that, or can we do it another way, or mm-hmm. um, we can do it this way, but we have to set it up and connect it in a certain manner to, to make sure it's secure. Um, or, or having somebody, you know, that isn't an IT that kind of knows what questions mm-hmm. to ask. I, I think that's, yeah, I think you need that. Absolutely. Because I think sometimes it's, um, Hey, this is going to do all this. We're going to get all this analytics or we're going to be able to do all this fancy stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but it's really, you know, and, and justifiable, right? We want the business to, to function better and, and to get yeah. more information and get data and all that. But mm-hmm. sometimes you can lose like, well, is this really deployed in, in, the sec- in a secure manner? So, yeah. yeah, I think the questions have to be asked, whether they're by IT or, or somebody yeah. dealing directly with the device. And, and I'm really curious, you know, like on that point, and again, it's, maybe it's like a, a personal reflection slash question, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious if the like IT knowledgeable people are going to migrate a bit more into the OT side because again, I think there's more and more devices coming onto like the OT side networks, and I I guess like I've not seen a lot of people being extremely knowledgeable on that side when setting up yeah. these networks. So I'm I'm not sure how that knowledge will proliferate. You know what I mean? Like, and I yeah. think like Pascal mentioned like yeah. he would want to see someone who's got kind of like the plant floor experience to be trained up mm-hmm. on the IT side. Yeah. But I don't know if the vice versa could also work. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm just maybe like curious on your thoughts on how we're going to see the change in landscape and, and how that operates. Yeah, I, I would I would love to see it. I think um, that's an area for me that I've expressed interest in, in terms of, you know, I, I'm, I'm internal to the business. So it would be nice mm-hmm to be involved more in terms of, hey, we're selling this MGAR or we're selling this product and, and see kind of the various deployments that, that businesses have and maybe kind of think, hey, is, you know, is this, is this being deployed in a secure way or whatever? Um, I also think you know, maybe some of this needs to be integrated more in terms of some of the training or some of the schooling that's available in mm-hmm. terms of OT. I mean, a lot of it is... Um, I mean, security is security, but um, you still have a lot of training and stuff that's that's centralized to more of an IT environment. Um, mm-hmm. So how to secure OT environments in the real world, I think, is something that we could benefit more from from a training aspect. Okay. I would certainly agree. Hey, thoughts, comments, ideas? No, no. So I, I like all of this. I think that this is, this is a really good kind of series of conversations. Um, I will say, so Mike, uh, Mike talked a bit about framework. I'll say NIST has a fairly good cybersecurity framework that I know people, especially on the OT side, have used. I, I have gone down that path. It helps you go and self-assess as to where you are. And one of the, the positives about that framework is it asks, you know, what is worst case scenario? And especially in many of our facilities, if someone were to, in theory, get in and, and hack into the facility, there is a, you know, huge number of dollars uh, worth of risk and, and people can die. And so I think that uh, at the framework. end of the day, sorry to interrupt, uh, NIST, NIST and ISD. Yes. NIST has a cybersecurity um, 
as a cybersecurity framework, uh, you guys can li quite literally Google NIST cybersecurity framework. Um, it it'll bring it uh, generally right up. Um, it's got a, it's got a list of questions. I know a number of groups have gone and built tools to help go through those questions because the questions themselves are what, while not necessarily confusing, are a bit difficult to like go through the process to to self assess and then get any sort of score out of. But I would say. If nothing else, that is a good place, uh, good place in order to go start. I do have one question for Mike before we go and ask kind of the last series of questions. But uh, Mike, I mean, you, you are the IT cybersecurity expert, uh, certainly in this conversation, probably in all of the conversations. What what questions should we be asking uh, on the OT side? What questions should we be asking the, the IT people before we go and fly flat in to go uh, plug in a bunch of laptop computers or just in general? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think, again, I, I go back to based on my experiences, um, making sure that they're kept aware of, yep. of what you're looking to do and what you're connecting mm -hmm. to the network and really kind of how it's, how it's working. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and like the questions I ask are, um, are there any requirements for external support to get into the device remotely and troubleshoot or manage. That's an important question because mm -hmm. you're starting to talk about outside people, you know, of the organization connecting in to support something. And then, you know, they can do, you know, whatever if they, if they wanted to act maliciously. So just gathering kind of what is the device doing, you know, sharing that with it, keeping them in the loop on that. Um, and generally, I mean, I think they, they would, they would be very happy on that. And, and hopefully they'll be very accommodating in, in telling you, Hey, this is how we want to connect it and make sure everything's secure. Um, so just kind of reaching out and having a conversation about, you know, what you're, what you're doing, what you're connecting is, mm -hmm. is just, is good to share. I think that's, that's what we, we look for. Absolutely. No, no, thank you. I, I think that, uh, that that is helpful. So we, we've had a number of conversations about ITOT convergence. I, I think that this is the, the most calm conversation that we've ever had about it. And uh, one of the very few that we've had an IT professional on. So so thank you for uh, for, for that, Mike. Uh, so we, we always ask people what, you, what they think. We always ask people to predict the future and what you guys think the future looks like. So uh, coming from your perspective, Mike, what does the future look like? either of IT or ITOT convergence or cybersecurity, kind of the, the floor is open uh, to you to, uh, to go make some of these predictions. <laughs> That's a good question. It's, it's a, I think it's a difficult question because things change so much. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think, um, you know, attackers and, and threats and, and um, you know, like pieces of malware will, will continue to get more advanced. Um, but I, I also think there's so many people um, really trying to defend against this stuff to, mm -hmm. to and developing really amazing products. Lots of AI now where, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's able to kind of detect a lot of these things. Um, it's not yep. foolproof, but um yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it, it, it's never going to go away um, and you're never going to be able to mitigate everything. But mm -hmm. um, I'm optimistic in, in, in being able to prevent uh, as much as possible and also yeah. to promote 
this type of work, um, I think it oftentimes can get very intimidating, you know, if going into cybersecurity or thinking about cybersecurity, because you're, you're always thinking about these, these very advanced attacks or maybe what's on the, in the movies or what you mm-hmm. hear in the news. But um, really the, the industry is great and it's for, it's for a lot of people and you don't have to start off as an expert. I mean, everybody's yep. always learning. So I'm, I'm optimistic, I'd say. Okay. I guess as a follow-up, and you know, the conversation we've had with Pascal was a bit surprising with his prediction, but I'm wondering, I guess, if putting an analogy, do you think we're building walls faster than, you know, the, the quote-unquote enemies are building cannons, or you think mm. we're going to see darker times before? Uh, you know? I mean, I, I think there will always be cases of significant breaches and mm-hmm. compromises. Yeah. I think the one challenge is, is um, we have a small, there's a, there's a group of people trying to defend a network that, that know, you know, a lot of the advanced techniques that, that come in. But if you're a bad guy, sometimes it's just getting somebody to click on a link and mm-hmm. that's really tough to defend against. So, you know, that, that's always going to be an attack avenue because we're mm-hmm. all integrated, you know, and, and we work on technology a, a lot with our jobs. So to try and prevent everything there, it's tough. So, yeah, I, 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 it might, that analogy might be true, um, but uh, it's always a cat and mouse game, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Mike, I'm going to tell you the same thing I've told the last two people uh, after their predictions. Well, well, your prediction was generally positive, but then Vlad asked you this question. And and uh, I feel like we're just going to have to stop asking people uh, talking to cybersecurity professionals to predict the future, because uh, every time Vlad has something to say about it, it, it feels kind of bleak. But but we do appreciate your prediction. Uh, we do appreciate your prediction. Uh, none the less. Um, next question for you is, is some content recommendation. I know we were talking about cybersecurity. You were saying that that a lot of good places uh, are are perhaps more on the YouTube side than on the or, and you know other blogs and things like that as opposed to, to paper books because just how fast everything happens. So do you have some yeah. content recommendations for us, please? Yeah, yeah. So one um, one website that we use a lot just to get a. a, a up to date on vulnerabilities that happen, um, different attacks, things that happen is called Threat Post. Um, it's a website that has um, a, a lot of good information, just just general to cybersecurity. They also mm-hmm. have a podcast on there, um, and it's it's a short one. It's like fifteen to thirty minutes, and generally they'll have um, very specific. Um, topics to discuss. So if mm-hmm. there's a, there's a breach somewhere, like a couple of years ago, there was the, um, the big solar winds, um, supply yeah. chain attack. They had a whole podcast on that. I thought that was fascinating. Um, so they have a lot of good content there. Uh, I, I do use YouTube a lot for, um, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, cybersecurity information, um, or just really technical information. So there's YouTube channels. Um, I follow somebody <laughs> named John Hammond, not any tie-in with Jurassic Park, um, okay. but uh, he's really cool. He does a lot of malware analysis. He also okay. does just basic hacking stuff, fundamentals. Um, 
it's a great channel to kind of get into, you know, get excited, I guess, about what yeah. you can do in this field. Um, there's another one too called David Bomble. He is, mm -hmm. he has a big YouTube channel and he, he has a lot of um, segments where he interviews people uh, and asks, you know, what do you recommend to get into cybersecurity? Um, so I always find that stuff interesting if you're Absolutely. starting off. Or want a career change or something like that. So there's some the channels. What's the second channel like. name? Sorry. You guys. Um, so his name's David Bomble, uh, B O M B E L, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, he's got a lot of lot of good content out there. A lot of awesome. um, interviews with with people in the field. We'll have all the links, Absolutely. you know, as I mentioned sometimes uh, in the on the website section. If you're listening to this, if uh, in, in podcast form and unable to access the uh, the YouTube at this time. Uh, we'll have all the links posted. Absolutely. And, and I would say, I think that that drives us into to the next question. So thank you for setting this up, Mike. Uh, we're always looking for some career advice. So outside of David Bomble's uh, YouTube channel, uh, if someone's looking to get into cybersecurity, maybe on the IT side, maybe on the OT side, what, what, are, what are your best recommendations? So for me personally, I always wanted to have more of a foundational knowledge of general mm -hmm. IT. So yep. uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I, I started off more with a networking background. Um, so I always wanted to know kind of the general, how do things communicate mm -hmm. on a network and what's involved if, if you know, you log into your machine, how does all that work in the back end? Um, so that's my, um, what my approach was, but um as I also stated, I think certifications are a great way to kind of yeah. start the knowledge process and get some credentials to maybe get a very entry level position. Um, yep. But along with the training side and the real world experience, I think having a home lab or, or going to some of these sites, try hack me is one um, mm -hmm. where you can, go through labs, go through training. They explain all this kind of stuff. It's, it's really, it's really interesting and, and it's very cheap, very affordable. You don't need to go to college for some of this stuff. Um, yeah. just to get in, just to get really kind of excited about it. So, um, having a home network where maybe you have a machine, maybe you have a, an old laptop where you run like mm -hmm. Kali Linux or something. Um, there's a really another good training. It's called security blue team. I kind of wanted to plug that because um, that is a, if we're talking about blue team defensive security, yeah. that training is amazing. It's not very well known, but I came, I came across that. It's called Security Blue Team. They have uh, three levels of certifications you do. Everything is practical. So it's not a multiple choice, choose the best answer. It's, mm -hmm. hey, show me how you would respond to this incident. Um, how would you gather these forensics? All this kind of yeah. cool stuff. So um, those are some training kind of nuggets that uh, I would recommend for somebody trying to get into the field. And, and don't feel intimidated by like the term cybersecurity or hacking or anything like that. It's, it's really, I wouldn't let that turn you, turn your way. Yeah. Awesome. No, no. So I like that. And then as a, as a follow-up, so I know that you said that you were 
uh, especially as you were studying for your certification, specifically getting that hands-on practical experience. Do you have a recommendation uh, for, you know, a good home lab setup if someone is looking to uh, to get started either on, I, I don't know what a home lab looks like uh, for, for sure. some of this stuff. So do you have some recommendations for that place? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the most basic setup I would say is if you have a, a desktop machine and, you know, you have, a, it's, it, it can't be very low on resources. So, you know, decent amount of memory and, and a decent yep. CPU, you can run, you know, VMware workstation and have just a uh, Windows 10 image uh, VM virtual machine that mm -hmm. you can run on your own desktop and not really um, have to buy any hardware. But if you want to buy hardware, you could just, or even just use an old desktop, um, you, you could have that as, as a kind of a, a machine that you can like as a server or whatever. Um, and then you can have like a laptop uh, as well and load Kali Linux or some of these open source operating systems that have more of a um, security um, focus. Um, but for me, I, I buy, you know, firewalls and, um, switches and, you know, hardware to support, um, you know, virtual machines and stuff like that. Awesome. So I, I've kind of gone a little bit overboard sometimes with that, but <laughs> it, it can be very basic, even just to, even just to get like a, uh, maybe a, a cheaper, like firewall, just to start yeah. learning, you know, what's involved in a firewall and adding rules and seeing traffic go through and, and whatnot. I think that's a good place to start. No, no, I, I love that. And I love that because if anyone's looking behind Vlad, you'll know that he and I have never gone overboard on anything uh, <laughs> ever in, in the, uh, in the past. Um, no, no, that, that, that's awesome. Like, th thank you. Uh, thank you so much for that. And then I guess the last question for you um, is who should reach out to, you know, who do you want to connect with as your area of Phoenix looking to, uh, to hire, who do you want to have conversations with kind of any and all of what we can do to help you? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a huge social media presence, but I am on mm -hmm. LinkedIn. Um, so I, I'd say, you know, anybody, um, you know, if you have questions about any of the content or, mm -hmm. or, or information, um, we, uh, we, we are growing in terms of our business, um, okay. a lot. Uh, so we're, we're always posting jobs, maybe not always on the IT side, but we do have yeah. a lot of interns that we, 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 um, we have for just service desk or kind of getting your feet wet in IT positions. Yep. But um, overall, as a company, you know, we have we have a lot of open positions. Um, so you can check out our website for those. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's good. It's good to be growing. <laughs> awesome. No, no. It is. Uh, so, so thank you so much for this conversation, Mike. It, it has been amazing. Uh, thank you for everyone uh, listening to, uh, to us here on Manufacturing Hub. If you are listening on podcast form, please go uh, rate us five stars, subscribe, do all of those things. I have found that if I ask people to download more podcasts, you guys subscribe and download more podcasts, which means that more people find us and listen, which is always amazing. If you're watching us on Solus PLC, hit that thumbs up and uh, and smash that subscribe button. I think that's what we're supposed to say on YouTube like 12 years ago, Vlad. And if you guys are listening to us on LinkedIn, thank you very much for that. Please feel free to follow uh, me, Manufacturing Hub Network, Vlad, and Mike. Mike, and we will catch everyone live next Wednesday. Until then, we'll see you all soon. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you, Mike. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.